You're listening to another great message from Northside Community Church. I'm not sure if you've... In fact, I'm sure you've been in that situation when you got that super large Coke that you know is going to result in a bathroom stop right when you get to the critical point. And a whole bag of popcorn, which ensures that you're going to drink that large Coke and go to the bathroom. And you're there, and I don't know if you've ever had those moments where... There's just, there's just a point in the movie in which you're absolutely enthralled. I mean, you, you sort of forget about all the world around you. Have you guys ever been in those sorts of places? Could have been all sorts of great movies. Uh, the Notebook. <laughs> uh, maybe you're inspired. Maybe, maybe Legally Blonde made you want to be a lawyer. But of course, there are the greats like Lord of the Rings, which grosses like you know forty gazillion dollars all around the world. And and if you want me to save you about anywhere from nine to sixteen hours worth of your life tonight, um, I'll just give you the synopsis of how it goes. But basically, basically, it, the 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 world. In Middle Earth, there was wonderful and it was perfect and, and this terrible uh, evil entered the land and the land was under this incredible darkness and these little guys go on this great quest uh, in order to destroy the source of this terrible evil and, and just ordinary people like you and I rise to do the most miraculous and the most incredible things and, and, and somehow triumph over this almost unbeatable evil in order to restore the world back to how it's meant to be. See, there was 16 seconds, not uh, 16 hours, so don't buy the extended version. Um, what is it about movies like that? I mean, what, what, what is it with them like that? And I always think there's two types of people that come out of those sorts of movies. There's, this, there's the person who's gone and watched Lord of the Rings, and they have that captivating moment in which they forget everything and they're so engrossed in the story and, and the credits roll up and the, the movie finishes and they go, oh, well, that was a nice story. Back to work. Or there's that person, and maybe that's you tonight, who, who I don't know, it's caught you and it's, it's, it's strung at a string deep in the very centre of your soul and you keep asking yourself the question, what if, what if that's sort of true? What if that's pointing to something bigger and deeper? What if it's true? Is there a story like that that's true? You know, there is. And it's in this funny black book that we call the Bible. And look, there are really two ways to read it. I think half the reason why we don't discover the wonder of this story is because we read this thing like, I don't know, have you ever seen those funny little letter type things? You buy a whole packet of them. They're little magnets that go on your fridge. And they make up all sorts of different words. And you stick them to your fridge and your friends make all sorts of different words. And if they're bad friends, they make rude words. And... <laughs> but nonetheless, sometimes I think we read the Bible like those letters on the fridge. One, one week we're reading from John. Next minute we're reading from Matthew. Next week we're from Second Samuel. We're reading through and we're reading through. And we, we sort of try and piece the great story of the Bible together like all these funny words on a fridge. And... We almost treat it like this little pillbox, this little medicine chest of goodies that when life is feeling tough that we pick one out and we have a read and it makes it and it soothes us. But here's, here's my question for us tonight. And look, I've got to come clean with you. I've been doing something a bit different this series. 
You see, I, I, I tried to stop reading the Bible like the funny words on the fridge. And instead, what if we could read the Bible as the greatest story ever told? What if that story was true? What if there is a story that essentially says that the world was created perfect and then a deep evil inhabited the land and ordinary people rose up? In fact, one ordinary person rose up and overcame this impossible evil and called the rest of humanity into that adventure and that somehow um, a great hero is going to come back and eventually save the whole world from doom and destruction. It sounds like a great story, right? It's true. It's true. And so what we've been doing over this past six weeks is really understanding that the Bible is simply God's plot line to save the world. That through the characters we've been looking at, they've been specifically chosen. Abraham, he was right back at the beginning of the book. Peter, when we get to in week six, is going to be right at the end of the book. Each of them walking, walking through chronologically. And what we've seen from all of these guys, you know, Abraham, we see that God wants to come into a relationship with you and bless you and be in a relationship. And as soon as he does that and blesses Abraham, he says, get out. Get out, go on. I'm only blessing you to be a blessing. And then we saw Moses, the stuttering Moses, talking to a burning bush. And he has an encounter with God. And immediately, guess what God says? Give you, give you a clue. It starts with get out. <laughs> he says, get out. Get out. Go, go do something else. Go, go. Actually, here's a good idea, Moses, you stuttering little guy. You go and stand in front of the world's biggest military power and tell him to liberate and let go of his free labor force. Just have a go at that. <laughs> and that's what we saw last week. Now, Isaiah, we, did, we haven't preached on him yet, but we know his story. God shows up in the temple. Coal comes from the altar. Angels bring it down, touches his lips. Isaiah gets this incredible view of who God, God is. And so God kindly says to him, I'm going to take you out to a group of people that are never going to listen to you and might want to kill you. Now get out. <laughs> uh, are we getting the pattern here, class? That is what we've been learning at the heart of this series is that God never calls you into himself unless he's going to send you back out again. He's a spiritual tornado. He only sucks you in in order to fling you back out. And so tonight we're going to look at another character called David, King David, that is. Wow, we're getting to serious characters. Second Samuel, one of the best named books of the Bible. Uh, chapter 7, verses 1 through to 17. After the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all of his enemies, around him he said to Nathan the prophet, Here I am, living in a palace of cedar, while the ark of God remains in a tent. Nathan replied to the king, Whatever you have in mind, go ahead and do it, for the Lord is with you. That night the word of the Lord came to Nathan and said this, Go and tell my servant David, this is what the Lord says, Are you the one to build me a house to dwell in? I have not dwelt in the house from the day I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. So that's post-Moses' time. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I have moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of their rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, uh, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be a ruler over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone. I've cut off all of your enemies from before you. And now I'll make your name great, like the names of the greatest men of the earth. And I will provide a place for my people Israel. 
And I will plant them so they can have a home of their own and no longer be disturbed. Wicked people will not oppress them anymore as they did in the beginning and have done ever since the time I appointed leaders over my people Israel. I'll also give you rest from all your enemies. The Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over and your rest with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will become your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house by name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with the rod of men, with floggings inflicted by men. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure before me. Your throne will be established forever. Who is this David guy? Uh, verse 1 saying, is saying here, verse 1, he's getting some rest from his enemies in a world in which uh, military oppression is all around you. And it had been for the nation of Israel. The military had been around them the whole time. They'd been oppressed people. Uh, rest was a good thing. And so God had taken them out of that. David was this, this military king who had, who had somehow stabilized Israel as a military and a political power. There was rest. They could... Sleep easy at night. Things were looking up for Israel. And so David has this house, this beautiful house, cedar. If you've ever smelt cedar, it's beautiful and it's fragrant and it's, it's lovely to look at. And, and so here he is living in this house and he calls Nathan, who's a prophet, or another word for that is a minister. So he calls the minister and he says, it's not right that I should be living in this house. It's not right that I should be in cedar while the Lord's living in a tabernacle, a tent. Now you've got to remember this tent's been around for like, couple of hundred years. Uh, I don't know if you pulled the old caribbean out of the garage every now and then. You know, but it's, you, know, you know how tents smell funny? Tents smell funny after a while. Uh, this would have been moldy and ratty and dirty. And, and this is what God is living in. And David says, we can't have that, Nathan. You know, we, it's disgusting. I've got a great idea. I want to build God a house. I want to build God a house. And, and so what does Nathan say, verses 3 and 4? You know, what, what does the minister say when, yeah, when a member of the congregation says that I want to donate a whole heap of money to the church? Oh, well, of course. <laughs> do, what, do what you'd like to, David. You know, don't let me get in your way, if that's the Lord's will. And so um, Nathan says that, but then, then God comes to Nathan and he says otherwise. Here's the first thing. God says, I don't want a house. I don't want David to build me a house. It's a funny thing to say. Why not? Why not? Here's the first one. It's because he's saying, I'm a people person. Verse 6, I've not dwelt in a house from the day that I brought the Israelites up out of Egypt to this day. I've been moving from place to place with a tent as my dwelling. Wherever I've moved with all the Israelites, did I ever say to any of the rulers whom I commanded to shepherd my people, why have you not built me a house of cedar? I love the tone here. He's saying, David, don't you know me? Haven't you seen me in the wandering and the tent? I mean, he's saying, since when, since when am I a cedar kind of guy? Since, since, since when do I need you or anyone, for that matter, to build me a house? I've been there for a couple hundred years. I don't dwell here by necessity. I dwell here by choice. I'm the sort of God who lives with the peeps. That's what he's saying in modern day language. See, that's the job of a pastor to translate for you tonight. Look, what he's saying is, when, look, when my people wandered, I wandered. 
When my people were rained on, I was rained on. When my people were troubled and afflicted, I experienced it with them. When they lacked fit, fixedness and security, I was there with them in the midst of it. God's saying, I refuse to live like a king when, when I see people with needs. When I see that, that my people live in needs. I refuse to live in a house when my people are houseless. You know, I mean, what it shows us tonight, God, guys, is that God is not the sort of God that, that, that sits up in the heavens and watches this world and all its suffering and all its pain or what you might be going through tonight. And he doesn't see this world and watch it like a, a world vision ad stuffing his face full of popcorn. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's terrible. <sighs> he, do, he, doesn't, he doesn't do that at all. He comes in, he dwells. He stays with the people. He says, I'm a people person. I'll stay with them. And isn't it been great hearing from Brendan tonight? And mate, thanks for sharing your story today across all three services. You've done really well. Um, but hasn't it been great to see Brendan and his story and the vision that God has given him? And you know, as we're flicking through those pictures, I don't know about you, but every time I see those pictures and I see him doing what God is calling him to do, you know, often people of the world look at Christians like that and they go, what in the world possesses a bloke like that to go and live and breathe and step into such poverty and desperate need? Brendan's story is our story as the church. He's, he's, he's not doing it to be a hero. He's doing it because he serves the God that dwells with the people. That, that's where God would be. That's the first thing we see tonight. He's a per people person. Here's the other thing we see from what God is saying. He says, I don't want you to build me a house, David, because any building that you do is not for me. It's actually from me. Verse 8, now then tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be a ruler over my people. God's saying to David, David, look, I, David, I took you from the pig pen and I took you to the big pen. You know, I, 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 I took you from mud to majesty. I did that. You wouldn't be a king if it weren't for me. David, you can't, what God's saying is, you can't do anything for me, but I'll let you do things through me. And that, that's, what, that's where we get the concept of a God of grace in the Bible. I know it's hard to believe and it will require faith, and I might have shared this with some of you guys, but I want everyone to be on an even page. Um, I used to be a gymnast. Yeah, when I was uh, when I was six, and uh, and I considered myself pretty good at being a gymnast, and uh, and it was my turn to go on the rings. You know the rings you see it at the Olympics. Everyone chalks up. I didn't ha I didn't have any chalk as a kid. I just had Johnson and Johnson ba baby talcum powder. <laughs> Smelt great. It was my turn to go on the rings, and I was watching all these other big kids ahead of me, and they were they were pulling themselves up, and they were having a go, and it was it was all fantastic. And it was my turn. And I jumped on so full of myself, and and I went to pull myself up, and. My poor little muscles, you know, hadn't developed into the great stature of things that they are today. And, um, <laughs> and so, of course, I, I, I pulled harder and, and harder and, and I just couldn't do it. And, and at the last point, I thought to myself, I'm going to give myself one big push. And, and I, I, I looked to the sky and, and like an eagle with, with one big tug, I, I floated towards the ceiling as if my strength had just known no bounds, as if some supernatural force had just enveloped me. I'm so proud of myself. Until I realized that, that in all of my concentration to get up on the rings, um, what had really happened is, and that's what brothers and sisters are for, they tell you these sorts of things in order to humble you, that 
My gym coach had actually gotten me under the legs and thrust me towards the ceiling on the last attempt so I wasn't humiliated. And so all of that pridefulness was pretty much gone. Um, what am I saying? Look, guys, God is a God of, of infinite grace, of infinite strength. He's the ultimate gym coach. And what he's saying to David is, David, mate, you would still be struggling on the rings if it weren't for me. He says that to us tonight. You'd be, you'd be struggling on the rings. In that sense, look, I love what Eugene Peterson says. He says, at this moment, David was on the threshold of either being full of God or full of himself. It's on the threshold of thinking, I'm in the house of cedar. Oh, my goodness. Come here, God. Let, let me build something for you. Come on. We're talking about the God of the universe here. And so in that sense, guys, look, is now an appropriate time to remind each other of why we do mission? I, I, I mean, we do mission. We try to extend God's grace. We're not perfect at it in this place. but We try to extend his mercy and his justice to the world around us, not because it impresses God, not because it wows God, or not because we have to do it to be right with God, but because he's extended his grace and mercy to us. That I mean, anyone that calls themselves a Christian recognizes that David's story is our story. Like spiritually, we were in the flock. Spiritually, we were in the pig pen and gone to the big pen. Spiritually, we're just every day, nobody's floating out in the field and he's the one that calls us in to the throne room itself. And that's where we live and breathe with him. I brought you up out of here. So in other words, guys, any work, any ministry that we do here individually and as a church, let's be really clear. Any building that we do in this place is not for God. It's from God. Helps us keep humble in that sense. And so, guys, look, I've got to ask you, you know, we sometimes in Lower North Shore of Sydney, we only have to look at those photos of Madagascar. We're living in the house with cedar walls here. We've been given so many great gifts of God's grace, you know, time and money and finances and great brains and great jobs and great situations, many of us in comparison we're doing it not for him, but through him in that sense. Any building's not for me, it's from me. The third one, you know, God's pretty much saying here, look, I don't want a house from you. I don't want a house. I don't want a house from you, and I don't want a house now. I'm fine being with the people. And here's the reason. final one is he's saying, it's because I'll build you a house. This is two, two reasons why this final statement is so important. The first one, it changes your view of God. In ancient times, if any military leader was successful in battle, often they would go and they would build a temple to the gods. Um, they would go and uh, they would go and pick a god and they would build him a temple and they would get some form of oracle, a special prophet like Nathan to go and speak on behalf. And the, the, the prophet would come back and say, Oh, king, yes, the god has, has seen your wonderful work and he's going to bless you and... and your kingdom will endure forever. And so the pattern was, we see here, that you have success and then you build a house for a God and the God blesses you. And now you're saying, hang on, that's exactly what's happening here in First Samuel. But hang on, David was about to do exactly the same thing and it's, and it's then that God shoots him down. God says, don't build me a house, I'm going to build you a house. Why? Because, it, look, here's what God's trying to do. He's trying to show the difference, the radical difference that he is to the gods of every other religion in the world. You see, every other religion, you build God the house, and then God builds you a house. 
You do good for God and then God does good for you, right? You do good things and God does good back. You put in for God and God puts out for you. I mean, it's like a religious vending machine, isn't it? Like every token of goodie that goes in, you just hit the button and another good little packet of goodie comes out. That, that's how religion works. And yet this God says, don't you dare start the basis of our relationship, David, on that type of pattern. He says, you don't build me a house, I build you a house. In other words, the God of the Bible is radically different from every other religion. Every other religion says, bless me as a God and I'll bless you. And yet the blessings from this God says, I'm going to bless you anyway. It changes your view of God. It changes your view of Christianity in that sense, but also changes your view of what God's doing. When God says, I'll build you a house, David's thinking, a normal house. David's thinking, God's going to pimp my crib. You know, he's, I'm going I'm to all sorts, you know, fit out the bathroom, all sorts of great taps, maybe one of those frameless shower screens. But God's talking about a different kind of house, isn't he? Yeah, he's talking to like the house. What about like the house of Windsor? We know what the house of Windsor is, of course. It's, it's, it's a family. It's not a place. It's not a building. It's a family line. What God was saying is, I'm not talking about a place or a building, David. I'm ta- no, I'm talking about a family. I'm talking about a lineage. I'm talking about a legacy that I'm going to build for you. A legacy that's going to go so far beyond you when the Bible says here to David that you will be sleeping with your fathers. In other words, it was a nice way of saying, you're going to be dead. And, and I'm going to build that so far beyond your ability to make yourself great and famous in the world. I'm going to do the work after you're long gone. And so God's saying, I'm not going to build you a dream home. I'm going to build you a dynasty. A family that regardless of their wandering or their worthiness or their obedience, I'm going to remain committed to them. I'm going to be with them. And it's going to be a kingdom, David, because it's from you as a king that will endure forever. And look, David, I'm not building you another kingdom. I'm building you the kingdom. From you, David, will be born not just another king, but the king. And look, we're thinking, look, is God just getting a bit gushy? Is he just getting a bit fluffy, just sort of trying to build him up? No, look, see, anyone knows that another king's going to, it's not really going to fix the problem. If you know your Bible well enough, David was a good king, right? But he also failed miserably, and he fails pretty bad at the end of it all. And Solomon, his son's even greater than him and does build a house called the temple. It does great things. But from that human standpoint, the irony is that the family of David just begins descending into further and further darkness. And horrible stuff goes on in the family of David within two generations of him passing away. And you're thinking, what the heck is the Lord doing? But it's the plot line of the Bible again, isn't it? Friends, let's not read the letters on the fridge. Let's go back to the big picture. In the beginning, it was paradise. That's what's happened before Abraham. And when we turn from him in the garden, all of that, all of that went to junk. Everything began falling apart. And that's why the Bible says why we have disease and why we have sickness and why we have pain and why we have suffering in this world because it's not how it's meant to be and a great evil envelopes this world. And what could possibly heal it? Psalm 96 says, Among the nations the Lord reigns, and then even the trees of the forest will sing for joy, and they will sing before the Lord, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. You know what Psalm 6 is saying? It's Lothar. It's, it's Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's, it's talking about the return 
of the king. It's talking about the ultimate third installment, a king that when he returns will bring a kingdom that will not just rule with equity and justice, but even the creation will cry out in joy. When all pain and suffering and unfairness is wiped from this world, and so David is being told, one of your descendants will not just be a king, he will be that king. And he's coming. A king that will not only overcome the giants like you did, David, like Goliath, but the real giants, the real giants of sin and death and time. A king that can overcome the real, real, th- the real things, the real things that could really kill you tonight. Where do you get a king like that? Well, we're here, aren't we? Two types of people. Hearing this story, some of them, maybe hopefully, if I've I've worked all my sweetness for tonight, you didn't have popcorn or a drink, but maybe just maybe there's there's been a moment for you tonight in in which you've forgotten the rest of the world around you. You've forgotten the open plan desk that you've got to go back to tomorrow. You've you've forgotten the the life and the challenges that are happening at the moment. And and, and we're we're caught in this picture, but there's two types of people. There's two types of people here tonight. They're going to go, wow, that's a nice story. That's just, what a coincidence that God wrote a story just like Tolkien. (laughs) That was cool. Tell that to your workmates. (sighs) And you go back to your world. Or some of you tonight, I don't know, you may not believe in Jesus. You may have been invited by a friend tonight. You might have stumbled in. You might have looked us up on the internet. It might have been all sorts of different ways that he's working through this kingdom to bring you here tonight. You hear this and you say, what if it's true? What if this is true? Guys, it is true. There is a king that when he saw the needs of his people, refused to live in a house of gold and of cedar, and he comes down. You know what it says? John 1, the word, in the beginning was the word, the reason for life. God himself becomes flesh and he made his dwelling among us. You know what the literal word for that is? He made his tent among us. God says, David, don't build me a house right now. I don't want it now. Because there's going to be a day, David, way beyond you. With futuristic sort of people that are really cool to have skinny jeans and leather shoes. And, and, and I'm going to be a part of a story in which they're going to understand that this is not the only time that I resided in a tent in order to be with people in need. He tented among us in the person of Jesus Christ, the true king. A king that doesn't demand that you build him up a house tonight in order to be near him. But he comes near you in order to build you up. Friends, it's true. It's true with all the desperation I can preach tonight. This king, look, this king doesn't ask you to give much, but he asks to give tonight what is hard. Jesus doesn't ask you to give much, he asks you to give in. And when you come under the lordship of that king, and when you get off the throne of your own life and you put the universal king on that throne, friend, you are in for the ride of your life. Have you surrendered to him tonight? Have you seen the bigger part of the story? It's true. What does this show us in God's plot line? Look, in the beginning was paradise. In other words, guys, this world ain't how it's meant to be. The pain or the suffering or the trials that you're going through or the trials that you're experiencing, the world's broke. 
It's not how he intended it. And an evil power envelopes this place. But, there, but we, we wait. We wait for an ordinary guy, a, a human that was somewhat different, that came from a special lineage, that came to usher in a new kingdom, that comes to rehab and restore the world. We wait for the return of the king. What's he like? What does he look like? What does he do? What does he call us to do? He's coming back for us. What's, what's his story? You'll have to join us next week. Let's pray.